So that's my thanks, and I'm going to use that to transition seamlessly into my sermon. Uh, so I am not a contractor. I work at CSU. I work in the vet school um, as one of the deans there, um, but I love building stuff. And so this has been like, I'm always a busy body. I'm always doing something. So this has been like this fun project for me just to have. And so the problem is I work a real job, and so I often don't think about what we're doing here until around Thursday or Friday um, when I'm like, oh, we should do something. I, I, my schedule is free. And so I'll send a text to many of you, a lot of group meetings that are floating around. Sorry if I missed you. Um, and um, oftentimes people are like, hey, dude, like I would love to come, but I have to have more than a day's notice to do it. And I get that. So oftentimes what you get is you get me um, by myself uh, in the parking lot at 6 a.m. at Home Depot, just right over here. And I love it. I I love it. I've always been a tinker. One of my favorite games lately has been um, to make my family super embarrassed by all the things that I can shove um, in my car. And it's amazing what you can fit into a Ford Taurus. I mean, some people say I need a truck, but I don't think I need a truck. Um, it's really, um, it's, it's good. And then as I was looking through photos of us working on this, I was slightly embarrassed at how many times I came across pictures like this that I sent to my wife. And she's like, why are you texting me at 6 a.m., you with lumber? Like, good job, I'm so glad you got some more lumber. But, um, but I, I, I love it, um, I, I really do. And I like to come in here and just and chip away. But I started doing building um, in, in high school, actually, is where I kind of cut my, cut my something... T, thank you. <laughs> Cut my, that was good. Thank you. Um, so I grew up in this little town uh, in southern Colorado, about four hours from here. If you get an I-25 and blast down towards like springs and you like turn and noodle through the mountains a little bit, you end up in this little town called Westcliff, uh, which if you get there, uh, man, my clicker is struggling. It looks like this. You, woo, yeah, I like that. Um, it is the kind of place where people are like, oh yeah, I've been to Westcliff. I'm like, no, you haven't. Like, no one just happens to have gone to Westcliff unless you climb 14ers. We have a couple there. This is our famous one. This is Crestone Needle and Crestone Peak. So if you're bagging 14ers, you may have been there. But most people, Westcliff is not a place that you pass through. It is a place you have to go to on purpose. It's not on the way to anywhere. But I grew up there, tiny little school. I graduated uh, with 25 kids in my class. I went K through 12 in the same place. I'm a product of the mountain country. And I um, got my first job in construction, working at this place called the Pines Ranch. This is, called, this is a dude ranch. If you don't know what a dude ranch is, a dude ranch is people from the city come and ride horses. Um, and they ride them to the mountain lakes, and they fish, and they ride horses, and they chase cattle around. And then in the evenings, we have bonfires and uh, square dances and all these kind of like country things. Um, but my, my first job, I was, I was a sophomore in high school. I was 15 or 16. I remember I couldn't quite drive yet, and my parents would take me up there, was to work with this guy. So this is a photo I found online. Um, his name is Dean Rusk. He was like the owner-operator, grand poobah of the Pines Ranch. Um, just a cowboy in like the truest sense, like, and, and a Vietnam vet. And so he was just this guy that I was just like, you are something else. And this is what I was like. So I was just a um, kid. <laughs> a little less facial hair. Go Bobcats, Custer County Bobcats, uh, blue and gold. Um, and um, we would spend, every day I would show up, and there was a project on the list. So it was like, hey, today we're going to do this. And I, I pulled this up, and I'm like, this is, I haven't seen this forever, but I was like, I remember working on that hot tub. Like, I remember replacing shingles on those buildings. I remember screwing those deck boards down and putting new stain. Like, it's just like, this brought back this flood of like, oh my gosh. And um, 
it was just that kind of a surreal thing where you're a teenage kid and you're working for this guy who was just like, can do anything and everything and was letting me do those. I, um, I remember the first week there, we needed to cut some trees. And he's like, hey, tell you what, I'm going to get in the front end loader. I'm going to lift it up. No, you're going to get in there with a chainsaw and cut all these trees. I'm like, sweet, yes, exactly. I'm like, this is the best job I've ever had in my life. My mom never knew, still doesn't know, unless she's watching this, that I did things like that. Uh, fence. I never built an ounce of fence in my life. And by the time I was done with that job, I had bit, built miles and miles and miles of fence. So it, it was great. There was one time he's like, hey, we're going to build a cabin. Sweet. And he's like, here's a chainsaw. Here's a four-wheeler. There's a bunch of trees over there in the forest. Go tr- cut them down. Build me a stack. We're gonna... So it was that kind of an experience. And so I'm so thankful for this guy, for Dean. But what he, what he did is he, he did more than just teach me how to do some stuff. Like now I can fix a sink that leaks and like I know how to do that. But he gave me a way of thinking and a way of being in the world. Like, hey, we can, we can get through anything. Like with a little bit of ingenuity, some, some duct tape, um, we can figure some stuff out. And that has carried me through so much of my adult life, which has been really, really cool. So fast forward to this building. So we bought it a year ago. We did an inspection on it. It was like a 30-page report because there's a lot of stuff to look at here and a lot of stuff that's broken. And I remember talking to the leadership team saying, we can do this. Like, I know it's an old building, but there's still some, some good bones here. And so I remember saying, hey, this room over here, I bet for 10 grand we'll do this. And this one here, five grand. And those bathrooms, they're going to cost a lot, but we're going to make them beautiful. And it's been, it's been so fun to see the spaces turn into something different. Um, but there's this difference. Because when I used to do construction at the Pines Ranch, I was just this kid who would show up in my little truck, and then I would leave and not care or think about anything at all. Um, because he was carrying, the, shouldering the load of the responsibility. Um, fast forward now to this building, and I think about this all the time. And I feel the weight. Like every time, I, not every time, but many times I go to Home Depot and I buy something, I'm like, this was your money. Like you gave sacrificially, and I'm buying a two-by-four with it. And there's something like holy about that. It's like, whew. And so there's something that, that has, has, this building has been teaching me about myself. I want to share that. So, so one story, I, uh, the first day we did demo in here, many of you are probably here. I see Stan back there. Stan's done a lot of demo in this building, by the way. But we were like, let's go for it. So I think all the Myers boys were here, and we're like tearing out walls. And if you've ever done demo, you know that sometimes you do things on accident, and you tear something out like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Well, on that day, the thing we, we didn't mean to do was accidentally cut the gas line. Never a good idea um, if you're, you know, and so we, there's maybe 20 people in there. My kids are like doing stuff and we're like, everybody out, like go, go, go. Um, and we turn off the main gas out, out here on the sidewalk, turn it off, call a plumber, like I can fix it, but not today. And so we opened up the windows, we had the fans going. Um, we, keep, we keep working once it's cleared out and then we go home and I don't think anything of it until I'm laying in my bed 4 a.m. in the morning. <gasps> You've had these times before? right? Where you wake up, you're in a dead sleep, and all of a sudden, oh, your Apple Watch is like, the heart monitor is like, wait. You know, it's got like the like, do I need to call 911 for you kind of stuff. You're panicking because I'm convinced, here's what happened. I'm convinced we probably didn't shut the gas all the way off, and we sealed everything back up, and so this building is just filling with gas, and I've watched way too many action movies, I think, where they fill the kitchen with gas, and then they, you know, turn on one little burner, and I'm convinced that that's what happened. This place is filling up. There's probably some gas or spark somewhere in this building. Somewhere it's huge, and I'm going to, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to drive to the thing, and I'm going to see this. (laughs) I'm convinced, and and like, I'm not kidding you. Like, I'm sure stained glass all over Mulberry Street, and I pull it. I wake up. I drive here, and sure enough, you know what? The building 
didn't explode, just spoiler alert. Um, but, but that whole like, ah, waking up in the middle of the night thinking about a project was something that's new to me, and it has continued. So uh, I was here one night by myself cleaning up with the, uh, the vacuum cleaner, which has been through a lot, you can see all the junk on it, and um, it was so, so cruddy, it wasn't like sucking up stuff anymore, so I grabbed a little foam filter in it, and I went outside to like, you know, how you do that. And so I went through the front doors, uh, which these doors, if you don't know, um, when you go through them and close them, they lock automatically behind you. Um, and I walked out there without my uh, key. So I'm like, you know, you walk out and you're like, oh no, did that just happen? You're all by yourself, it's dark. You get the door, <laughs> you can't, and you look in there and like your phone and your keys and your wallet, and you're like, what do you do? And so I started checking windows, like surely something's, and sure enough, there's a window that's open. It's this little tiny window <laughs> down the little stairwell. And if you've never been down there in the kid's wing, from the backside, it looks like this. It's like six feet in the air. I had just hung that TV a couple days before. Um, and so I go like straight up like uh, through that. And I'm so proud of myself because I make it through that little window with some abrasions on the abdomen. Um, <clears throat> but I make it. And so I, I, I close up the building and get my tools. I go home. And in the middle of the night, <gasps> again, 334, <gasps> I'm so panicky. I'm so, and, I, and I climb in my car and I drive here as fast as I can because I'm convinced, I'm convinced and, you, and I'm not kidding you that this is what's happening. <clears throat> like, I'm sure because I'm so proud of everything that I did, I made this building, that I just left that window wide open. And I'm convinced that there, everybody in Fort Collins has just been waiting for me to leave a window open <laughs> so they can come right in here and steal all of the three TVs that we have. So I, but, I, but, I, but the feeling was real. Like, this is happening, and it is panic, and it is anxiety, and I climb in the car 4 a.m. Sarah's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just going to go to church, um, <laughs> and I'm speeding down Mulberry to come here, and I pull in, and guess what? Um, it's all here, just how we left it. Uh, I had closed the window, um, so this thing keeps happening. I was finishing the trim out here in the hallway, and we, we paid some bucks for this trim, so I tried to be really careful with every piece of it. We had it custom milled right here at Sears Trostle, so it would match all this, and it's been this fun project, but um, after a long time of doing that, my wife and, and kids came to bring me lunch, or dinner, it was, and um, this was the last piece that I was working on, and I just kind of nailed it up, <laughs> middle of the night, <gasps> same thing, because it dawns on me that that wall, if you open it up from the other side, looks like this. This is what we call a wet wall because it's where all the water lines run. And I'm like, I'm convinced that I stuck a nail right through that because um, this is what it looks like on the backside. This is not the church. This is actually my in-law's house. Um, <laughs> I was helping them with a, ba- with a bathroom. And this is what a nail looks like going through copper pipe. So I've been down this road before, and you think that I would learn. Um, I thought I would learn. But sure enough, I wake up uh, middle of the night thinking about this, and I'm like, I didn't even check. I guarantee right now there is a foot of standing water in this church. It is flowing out on the sidewalk. It's an ice skating rink out there. And I wake up again, 4 a.m. So it's like, why do you keep doing this? I don't know. Um, and I drive here, convinced to see the worst. This place is flooded. This place is a disaster. Um, I get here. It's not. So it's been really interesting because this is not the only time. But I am keenly aware of passages like this that say, hey, don't worry. This is Jesus. He's like, hey, don't worry. And I'm like, yeah, I was about to stop, except I can't. (laughs) 
Some of you feel this way. Have you? Ha- I hope I'm not the only one who's had these experiences where it's like, it's one thing to have an academic understanding. Like, hey, don't worry. Like, I, intend, I built you not to worry, and yet you are worried and anxious and all those things. So this building has been so beautiful because it has refined some of this for me. I, I have talked on this stage uh, or on similar Two River stages about these ideas. And what I love about our journeying together is that we, it's, it's a journey. It's a process. So I continue to learn more about myself and about the beauty of Scripture. And I can't wait to share some of that with you today. Because it's not just me building this building or working on this building that, that brings this about. It happens all the time to me. And I hate it. Like I was giving a talk. I, I worked at the vet school. I frequently traveled to other vet schools. I was doing, usually I do like an hour long talk, yeehaw, and then I leave. Um, I was doing a full day retreat at a, at a vet school in the Caribbean. Um, and about like three quarters of the way through the day, I got this feeling it wasn't going so well. And you know, you have that like <gasps> kind of panic. And so I was in front of people and we were like having conversations. And I'm like starting to like, I feel like I'm going to pass out. And you're like, you pretend like you're going to sit down in a chair. Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, I need to tie my shoe, just trying to get blood down to my head because I'm so worried. So this happens, and we hate it, right? You hate, you hate these feelings, um, and yet just to say, don't, don't worry, is is not enough for me. There's something more that I have to believe and understand and know. And so I'm thankful that Scripture is not just a bunch of one little phrases that we like, yeah, figure it out, that we have the whole span of Scripture. And so you have other places like Ecclesiastes that says, so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? And if you compare, the, compare these to each other, you have this do not worry kind of statement in one, and the other is a description of like, hey, I do worry. So you see that? One, don't worry. One is like, what do you get for worrying? Assuming there is worry that occurs. So I started to, to do this thing. I thought, I wonder, I wonder what the ratio is of these in Scripture. And so I didn't do an exhaustive thing, but I, I tried to get Scriptures. I broke them into the don't worry or I worry. Um, and I started putting tallies. So we've seen those two, two passages I talked about. So we're tied right now. Um, I did a, a robust Google search. And I, I literally typed, what does the Bible say about worry? So, so take this for what it's worth. It's not exhaustive. I don't have a, a PhD in, in theology. But here's some things I found, right? So here's, here's five verses. If you look at them, I'm going to color code them for you again. We have the green ones are the do not worry. So it's like a, it's like a command or, or exhorting people towards. And then you have others like give your worries. The idea like you have worries, you should give them. Uh, the, um, why should I tremble? So we're just going to keep score. So here's where we are so far. I did another search. Broom, there's another five. When I look at them, you get this kind of a breakdown. So I worry. All the ones in red, I worry. I worry. I'm afraid. I'm fearful. Do not worry. So we'll go to our tally board. Here we go. Let's do a few more. These are all past, all Old Testament, New Testament, spanning all of Scripture. It breaks down like this. Don't worry. I worry. Don't worry. I worry. We're going to do one more round. Four more. I tagged them like this. I worry. I worry. Don't worry, but I worry. So when I look at it, this is what I came up with. Again, um, not, not an exhaustive script, but you see that there's this, there's, not a balance, but there are both are present and in the narrative of the scriptures that we that we have. So if you if you stand back and look at it, what you, you might say is that you get these things, don't worry about life, and yet I'm worried. You see, tell you don't don't be anxious, and yet I'm anxious. Don't be afraid, yet I'm afraid. 
And so, so to me, this brings such great solace because it says, okay, this has been the story of mankind. The Bible is this big story. What can we learn from this? So I'm, I'm excited to share the next, the next iteration in my story, and I hope to invite you into some things I've discovered because I was, I was listening to someone teach the other day, and they said, when you give a talk, what you tell people is, this talk is going to change your life. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable saying that usually ever. But what I can tell you is the things that I've been learning lately have changed my life. They have. And so I hope, at least for some of you, there might be some shift, maybe not a life change, but something that helps free you if you wrestle with anxiety, worry, uh, fear. So we're going to be in Matthew 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We will be looking from 19 all the way down to 25. Um, And the part about don't worry is down here in 25. And so there's a lot of words on there. And so I'm going to do some things where I'm going to take the the key ideas from this and I'm going to try to summarize. So you can see them one in the back. And so we can kind of wrap our mind around around these big ideas. But as I've been doing this, I I will search like um, I need to copy and paste these into my PowerPoint. And so I'll I'll, type in this verse. And what I've been struck by is a number of these kinds of things um, that show up. So like all these verses we're going to do today have some sort of a like what is that, like a poster or a meme kind of, like a thing, you're supposed to like an inspiration kind of card. Lucas was talking about this several weeks ago, like the kind of cursive wispy things. There, so everything we're gonna look at today, you'll see online as like these like one hit kinds of, of things. And yet they all, they all fit together. And so um, we're gonna break this into four, four sections, cleverly titled A, B, C, and D. Um, and, and look at how they fit together. Because individually, I think there's not a ton of power for me in these, but collectively there is this huge ah that I have had with them, and I hope I hope you do the same. So um, again, by themselves, that's what you find with A, like don't store up treasures, and then B is the eyes, and then C is no man can serve two masters, and then D is don't worry, and, and it's ah how do they how do they fit? So we're gonna do this together. It's gonna be something. All right, so let's let's look at D. So one, how do I know they fit together? And the way I know is because when you look here, so when it says that is why, in your translation, it might say a different word, um, therefore. And you've heard Jason teach a lot. You have to, when you see therefore, you say, what's the therefore? Therefore. And just from a literature point of view, we know that, that when we write that, this is a transition. So we're trying to connect ideas from one paragraph to another paragraph. And so if, if Jesus is teaching, saying, hey, don't worry, what would you expect to be in front of that? And as I read it, what you would expect is something that's setting me up to like, this is the reason not to worry. Like the first thing that came to my mind um, was that you would expect maybe something like this. When God closes a door, he opens a window. It's like, okay, I don't, so it's like when God does this, something bad's happening and I'm worried, but, but a window is opening. And guess what? You will find that verse in nowhere, chapter nowhere, verse nowhere. Like that is not in the Bible anywhere. That, I think, is from The Sound of Music. Um, I think. That's the first time I heard it, at least. Um, that's not, it's not what it says. It says something that is way seemingly less helpful to me, because that I can, like, latch my mind onto, but instead what Jesus says is, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God of money. Ooh, that really just knocks the anxiety right out of, not, not for me. And yet, 
These are Jesus' words. There's something there. So I want us to look at that. So, so as I'm doing this, like trying to figure out what's going on, I'm like, well, surely there was something before that that's helpful. So surely B set us up for section C. And you know what's weird is it doesn't seem like it at all. In fact, it doesn't talk about treasure or money in C at all. Instead, we don't see that until we hop all the way up to A. So I'm going to scoot up to A where it says this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Um, where, so I'm just going to summarize it like this. Where your treasure is, their desires of your heart will be. So we have that. Those things seem related somehow. And then when we look at B, it seems to me to be totally unrelated. It looks like this. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if that light you think you actually have is darkness, how deep the darkness is. Which I'm going to summarize like this. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for I look at this, I'm like, um, I don't understand. I don't understand how this fits together to result in, therefore, don't worry. Um, but I think I understand a little bit more now, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So we're going to do that by diving in first to verse 22. This idea of your eye is like a light, it's like a lamp that provides light for your body. So um, you know what's interesting is in the Greek, that word um, for your eye um, is um, rendered the eye. Yeah, so the translators nailed it. So they, <laughs> uh, I know I was digging for it, and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but it actually, it turns out that, that the people who write about these things also can render it figuratively, which is helpful. So the mind's eye. So how your mind, you might call it your, your perspective. And it says then that your perspective, the way you view things, your mind's eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. I've talked before um, on this stage, actually, about, about darkness, this, this Greek word, uh, which can also mean obscurity or opaque, so not able to be seen. So what I'm going to do is I want to take the big ideas from these, and I'm just going to rearrange them to make a statement that I can comprehend, and it's going to look like this. Jody, you love these things when I do that, don't you? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to summarize that section by saying this. When the mind's eye is unhealthy, you are not able to see clearly. This is starting to, for me, unlock or connect this section B with part D. Let me, let me talk about why. Let me talk about what, what I have learned. So I um, work, like I said, at the vet school. And we um, give students lots of tests. Uh, Caitlin, product, Dr. Bronk, uh, graduate of our program. Is Bromley in here? Dr. Bromley? No, anyway, a lot of tests. Yeah, Sam, yeah, look at that, two CSU veterinarians. If you need a veterinarian, these two work at the same place, I think. So, you know, go see them. Uh, anyway, shameless, shameless shout out. Uh, we give lots and lots and lots of tests, and we started recently tagging each of our questions um, by, by three categories. Um, so recall is a question that makes you remember something. Like, I know the name of that thing. I remember that drug. Uh, synthesis is when you have to take ideas that you remember and put them together. So you interpret like blood work and you say, when this goes up, I know that means something about the condition. When this goes down, so you synthesize it. And then judgment is when you do that synthesis and you have to decide something. So you, you say, okay, I think this is what's happening. What do I do next? How do I treat? Do I go to surgery? Do I do medicine? Do I... So judgment just means making a decision. And what's interesting is that um, 
our students struggle big time with the judgment. And maybe it's not interesting because that's really sophisticated. Um, but we, overall, um, as humans, really have a hard time with um, this idea of putting things together. And so I, um, I will send these reports to students. And this, this student uh, gets back to me, and she, she emails me. She's like, Dr. West, uh, I just, this report is scaring me because you're right. My mom's been telling me for years I have such bad judgment. And I'm like... That's not what this is about. <laughs> but you should trust your mom because you probably do have some bad judgment. If mama says it, it's probably true. But the reality is we as humans have terrible judgment in a lot of ways. So let me, let me, let me help you understand some of the ways that your judgment may be not so, so good. So in this room, if we were to choose some feature, like let's talk about height, for example. Mathematically, half of you will be below average. And it's hard to hear that sometimes, but hey, I'm below average in something. And half of you mathematically will be above average. That is the way it works, uh, as long as we don't allow for ties. Um, what's funny, though, is that people have surveyed uh, us humans about your view of like, on, on this other trait, where are you as it relates to average? Um, so here, here's one. So what percent of Americans do you think think they have above average intelligence? <laughs> mathematically, it's got to be 50, right? Uh, and yet, uh, with intelligence, 65%. So this is like, oh, okay, I can see that. But these ones, are, this is more fun. 85% of people <clears throat> report their ability to get along with others is above average. We're like, yeah, there's a bunch of angry people who don't do well, but I am way above average. And this is my favorite. This is the last one. 93% um, of Americans <laughs> think their driving abilities are above average. So just like statistically with some margins of error, that's basically everybody. Everybody is like, hey, tell you what, like, I guarantee I'm way better than average. And if I line up like 100 people, like all of them minus seven really honest people are like, I'm way better than average. Which is, you get this because you've done this. Like you, you're driving down the road and the person who goes like bombing by you, you're like, you're a terrible driver. And the person who's super slow, you're like, you're a terrible driver. So we're, we're just bad judges of things. I... Um, uh, when I was working with students, uh, we tried to help them understand this idea of like how you're just like a bad judge of things. And so we do this activity where I present students with these, these images. These are like, like animal tracks. And I say, what I want you to do is write a story for me about what's going on with these tracks. And what I would do is then show them a progression of tracks. So this is uh, step one, step two, step three. And I say, I want you to write me a story. The only rules are you need to start it with once upon a time. So students would have to write, once upon a time, blah, is happening. But unbeknownst to them, half of them I had read an article on um, predator-prey relationships. So they had read about how, you know, the animal kingdom is just fierce. And half of them read an article. They didn't know what the other half read. They all thought they read the same thing. Half of them read an article on mating rituals of animals. <laughs> and can you imagine the stories I get? So, so... Again, they all start with once upon a time. And you can imagine those who read the, the, the mating things are like once upon a time, you know, fluffy and floofy are walking through the wood. And those who read the prayer to pray, it's like once upon a time, viper and vixen are going. So we, we, we like to think that, hey, when we all look at the same thing objectively, it's going to all tell us the same thing. We're all really good judges of what's happening. And yet, Based on all kinds of things, we come up with all kinds of wild, harebrained ways of seeing and viewing and being in the space. I think those ideas are part of what's happening here. When the mind is unhealthy, when we are seeing things, we're seeing our life, we're seeing the world around us, we're seeing other people's lives through goofy lenses, we're not able to see it clearly. 
and it distorts things. So in this passage in Matthew, it just kind of gives this little, like just a couple sentences, like, and then if it's dark, then it's like super dark, but it doesn't give like some, like what does this look like? Let's flesh it out. So I'm a university guy. I've been in university for a long time. I love other fields of study. Even as an educational researcher, we look at the way things are, and then we, we write about it. So we're like, oh, this is great teaching, and we give words to it and phrases to it. Well, that's how academics work. So I've turned in this to the, the, the field of psychology to give me some words. I think words are really helpful. Again, they're not scripture, but they are based on people working with all of us messy people and giving words to things. To me, they've been really helpful. So I want to share them with you to give some language. One of those words that psychologists started talking about in the 1980s, it's called cognitive distortion. And the reality is that people have been thinking about this forever like the 1780s and the 1580s and the 1380s, I am sure, because people have been people forever. Um, but cognitive distortion, and you can Google it, is defined like this, faulty or inaccurate thinking, perceptions, or belief. To me, that seems like a good summary of what we're talking here. Not able to see clearly. Faulty or inaccurate thinking, perceptions, or belief. And so... Um, there's lists of these things. Like, what are some of these cognitive distortions that people hold? What are some of these? And so um, I was reading a list, and I was like, oh, catastrophic thinking. Huh. I wonder if I ever struggle with catastrophic <laughs> thinking. Um, gee, let's, let's see. And, and you realize, oh, my gosh. Like, I do this. Like, is there a possibility that, there's a ga- that there was a gas leak in here? Yeah, there's a possibility. And it's probably just a little like, you'd walk in and be like, oh, there's some propane smell. But in my mind, I'd jump all the way to like, <laughs> that's catastrophic thinking. It, it's, it's, it's a warped view of, of reality. It's distorted. It's inaccurate. Um, here's another one that I find myself in, fortune telling. Making conclusions and predictions based on little to no evidence and holding them as truth. So I'm like, hey, I left the window open. Pretty sure what that means is everybody in Fort Collins is going to come and steal our TVs. Why? I mean, that's like that mixture of catastrophic and fortunate, like as if like what, what would lead to that? And then this is one that I do to myself, shoulding. I should. So when I'm, when I'm putting up trim and I put a nail through a pipe, I'm like, Andrew, how did you do that? You should be better than that. Like, you know better than this. You've done this before on your in-law's house. How could you? You should be buttoned up, dialed in, and you will not make dumb mistakes like that. And so I... I I, I twist things in my head, distorted. So what, I think that part of what Jesus is saying here is when the mind's eye is distorted, when it's unhealthy, it results in this darkness that makes it unable to see clearly. It results in this thing that contributes to worry. So I'm going to give you three invitations today. Here's the first. So things I want you to consider, and the first is this, that I, I hope are equipping and helpful for you. The first is this. What or can you give words to your faulty or inaccurate thinking, perceptions, and beliefs? Can you give words to them? Can you find descriptions and words for that in Scripture, or can you find them in other fields like psychology? Can you get words from your friends and your family and your loved ones? Can you be in a life group and a community group with somebody who helps you see the way that you are seeing things that are not congruent, they are not consistent with what the word of God says about you. Can you label? Because without being able to say something, without being able to call it something, it's so hard. You find yourself lost because you're like, ah, there's this thing going on, but I don't, I can't 
So finding words is huge. So if you cannot find words, find people, surround yourself with people, read books, listen to stuff to give words, because when you have words, it, it is so helpful. It's part of what I'm finding is, is helpful to me. All right. Um, let's, let's move to box, box A here. So here's the summary statement for it. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. How does this, how does this fit? So, so I went to the Greek on this. That word treasure um, can also be rendered the treasure a person trusts in. Okay? So in this context, for sure, I think Jesus is talking about like stuff, like treasure, like, like physical stuff. But I don't think it has to be. If you read the last line on that, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think it gives us at least the ability to ask the question, is that treasure maybe broader, something more like treasure big? So I want to play with that. Again, if what I'm saying, if you're like, I don't see that, West, then just like chicken wing this, like eat the meat, toss the bones, like seriously. But for me, it's been helpful to chase this a little bit. Um, because when I think about my worries, like waking up in the middle of the night, freaked out that there's water flooding everything, the thing is, I'm not actually worried about water being on the floors out there. I'm not, because I can promise you, because we have flooded this building twice, haven't we, Brunk? Um, so we, um, once we left, uh, some, one of the contractors, it wasn't, it wasn't neither you nor I, but one of the doors was left open to the basement, and it was like one of those minus six degree days, like the worst day you could have done that, or worst night, and Brunk calls me, he's like, uh, Doc, uh, there's like 12 inches of standing water in the basement. Um, so that, that happened. But then I also walked in once um, to a men's group, I see Stan, a couple other guys on Thursday morning, and I walk in and I see this. Some of the guys are there sitting around, they're like, yeah, Doc, there's like a, you know, wet carpet. I'm like that's a problem. So I run to the basement, turn off the water. I look at this. But here's the thing. Like that whole morning, I was distracted for sure. I'm like, we got to get that thing shot vacked up. We got to get some vacuum. We got to get, because we don't want mold to grow. But there was no anxiety tied to this. It's like, what's the difference? Like, what's the difference? Like, I can come and see water. I'm like, yeah, we got to do something about that because we can't leave that. That's a problem. But it doesn't stir up anxiety. And yet, when I punch a hole through something, all kinds of anxiety. Well, I think it's tied to this. It's tied to the treasure of what I'm valuing. And what I, don't, I don't value that carpet. I mean, the carpet's fine. It's not, that's not what I value. What I value is my pride. What I value is that I screwed up and made the mistake, and I'm going to have to face all of you about that. You're going to say, oh my God, we're going to tear out all this stuff because you weren't careful enough. That's what I treasure. And so I've shared these ideas before. Um, I'm going to give them to you again. You can screenshot or take a picture of that if you want. You can, you can Google things. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the things that human beings are really motivated by. These are the, the, the treasure, the thing below the thing. Like in my house, I see my daughter here, Finley. Hi, kiddo. Tell a story. Can I tell a story about you? So the thing we do, <laughs> her eyes are wide open. Uh, in our house, um, uh, we have this ongoing thing where right around bedtime, I'm going to hear something about, Dad, she's staring at me. <laughs> dad, she's staring at me. And I'm like, yeah, look somewhere else. No, Dad, but she is staring at me. And, and so it turns into like this big thing, huh, kid, all about staring. Now, is it about someone looking at you? Is that what gets you hot and bothered? You don't have to answer, kid. No, it, it's, you're all staring at me right now, and I think it's great. So it's, it's not. It is about something else. It's like I'm staring at you as a sibling because I am doing something else. Like I am asserting my ability to control you. You are resisting your ability and you can't. So it's these deeper 
things that are happening. Um, my wife just sent me this, this meme. It's so hilarious. It talked about how siblings are really well prepared uh, for like the adventures of this world. And like, because, and one of the things I said, it's because they have undergone psychological war- warfare training. <laughs> like, it's what it is. It's psychological warfare training. It's like, you um, But for me, and I've talked about it before from here, when I poke a hole in something because I made a stupid mistake, it tugs at my treasures, which there's two of them on this list. The first one, is there. It is the approval of other people. And I will, I will tell you that this is lessening and lessening in me. So you know, I don't like every year stand up here and say that, and you're like, Jesus, God never, God is changing my heart, but it still rears its ugly head in moments. The other close second to it is this, protecting myself by having things figured out. If I can just think through it enough, if I can just do it carefully enough, I can control this environment. I can stay ready so I don't have to get ready. I can predict what's going to happen. Um, that is what I fight for. And so what, what, I, what I'm learning is that when the anxiety comes because I've done something like this, it's not about the thing. It's not about the water. It is because of what I am treasuring and valuing. And that thing is getting loud and big. So I have this treasure that is loud and big, and I have this lens that is catastrophizing and doing things. And both of these things result in this worry. And yet, Jesus says, don't worry. And it says, therefore, So let's look at box C, because for me, that's where that therefore is there. Um, I should probably remember what I'm going to say, though. First, though, before we do that, second invitation is this. Can you identify what it is you really treasure? Much like the first one, if you have some language around it, it is super helpful. And again, you may not see it as clearly in your your own, but having people surrounded by you, people who can speak truth, to you, people who can call things as they see it, really, really helpful. So, so can you put words around? It? And it is hard work. There's no, I was talking to someone after first service, and he's like, how do I do this? I'm like, I don't know. I read, and I listen, and I talk, and I explore. But when you can identify what it is, you can recognize it sometimes when it's happening, which leads to this box C. So box C, um, as you remember, might remember, says this, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. How does, that, how does that fit, Andrew? This is the thing that's going to change your life, or that's changed my life, was seeing this, this two masters business differently. Because here, here's how it was before. This was in the context of money. And it's like, you can't serve two masters. You can have God or money. And it felt that way. Like, rah! like it's this or this. And don't you dare, because if you try this one, it's just going to ruin your life. You get this or this. And it felt like this thing. And yet, this has changed for me. And I want to share how it has changed. And I I hope it encourages you. So this idea that I'm about to say is not my own. Um, I heard a a neuroscientist talking about this. But I think she's on to something. Her name is Tracy blah, something. Sorry, Tracy. I don't know. I can't remember your last name. Uh, (laughs) Tracy uh, wrote about some of these ideas. And so here's one of the things a psychologist would say is that emotions are fundamentally functional. So your emotions, whatever that emotion is, it serves a purpose. So let's talk about the emotion of fear, for example. So do that through a story. So Sarah and I met um, at this camp in Westcliff called Horn Creek. Anybody ever been to Horn Creek by chance? No way. Oh, yeah. Yes, Horn Creek. Um, beautiful camp in the mountains. Um, 
I was teaching high school. Sarah was working at camp. Um, and as we were dating, we would go and we'd hang out at camp and just do the things that camp people do. It was, I loved it because it's where I had grown up. But I hadn't been there for a while. Anyway, I loved it. Uh, Horn Creek is set up. There's basically three kind of sections of it, three, three mini camps within the camp. And there's trails <coughs> and roads that connect all of them. And so after one night doing evening worship stuff, we walked from the Mountain Meadows camp <coughs> to, to the middle camp where, where she lived. Um, and it was dark. So it looked more like this. And we're walking in, sorry, hand in hand, uh, you know, as happy as can be. And uh, she stops and she's like, <gasps> Andrew, I see eyes. It's a mountain lion. And I'm like, no, you don't. And no, there isn't. It's deer if it's anything. She's like, no, there's a mountain lion. He's right there. I see him. He's going to eat us. And so um, if you know my wife, you've seen her up here. Um, she doesn't keep like that emotional stuff um, like close to the vest. You know, it's like, <laughs> let's just say it's, it's, it's there. And so she's getting all of that Sarah West that you get to experience. Um, and, and this funny thing happens where all of a sudden her fear starts to rub off on me. You know, do you know how this works? She, in fact, she was just showing me this morning. There's a video of people faking like they see something. Like they'll be in a room with people and everybody's in on it except for the one person. And they'll be like, ah! like they see something. And the, and the person who doesn't see the invisible thing will also like, ah! so we, we do this, we do this thing. And so this is what's happening to me. So my wife is fearful. It rubs off on me. And before I know it, we're both running and I'm like 10, 20 feet down the road ahead of her. And, um, <laughs> Any of you single fellas uh, wondering if there's a chance for you? There's still a chance. Like, if I can do it, you can figure it out. Um, but when you say, like, hey, emo- emotions are fundamentally functional. They do a thing. Fear is a good thing. Fear is that thing that you say, hey, my life could, could end, and I can do something about it. So that fight or flight kicks in. You flight. You outrun everybody. Hey, sorry. Uh, survival of the fittest, and I win. Um, but, but fear doesn't think that, but you know, but carrying that fear for very long is not good. Like chronically carrying that fear will like destroy, physiologically destroy parts of your insides. We know that they, they serve a role and then they need to not do that role. So let's look at anxiety then. So if, if you buy into this line of thinking, and you may not, but if you think that emotions are functionally fundamental, are fundamentally functional, what is, what is the role of worry or anxiety? What, is it, what does it do? Because we know scripture says, we don't, don't be this, and yet, what does it do? So, so when I think about worry, anxiety, it kind of ranges on a spectrum. You have butterflies in one, like, ooh, I'm so kind of anxious. I'm going to go talk to her. All the way to, like, panic attacks. I'm going to pass out on the stage and things. And maybe you've experienced both of these. Um, so if it's, if it's functional, that means it's doing something. It's like it's saying, hey. trying to tell you something. Or I'm trying to tell you something, because if you're like me, anxiety is not quiet. It wakes me up in the middle of the night and elevates my heart rate. It's screaming, I'm trying to tell you something. So what if we think about anxiety that way, that when we feel that anxiety, instead of trying to to run away from it, to talk ourselves out of it, to do something, what, what if we lean in to it? Because check this out. I pulled some of those verses that I showed you about descriptions of like, Hey, I don't want to worry, but I worry, but I worry. And, and when you look at these, take a, take a look. So, but when I am afraid, so I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. 
I prayed to the Lord. He answered me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me a renewed hope. What do you notice about these just kind of grammatically or structurally? See that little comma right there? What does a comma mean as a part of speech? When, when you use a comma, what are you supposed to do as a reader? Pause. Pause. So what would it look like that when you had a, instead of like, I got to get away, we pause and listen to that? Might it reveal something about the inner workings of where we are, things that are out of whack? Because I know for me, when I've started, this is what has been changing my life. It has because I have stopped trying to like, well, maybe it won't be, maybe I have stopped and leaned and say, what is going on in you? Why is this thing causing this reaction in you? Why are you getting so big on the things that you treasure? Why is your perspective so catastrophic? What is happening? And that anxiety is leading me to this, therefore do not worry. I wanna, I wanna dive in more because it matters. I was driving one of those nights, blasting down Mulberry in my car, convinced that something bad had happened and it was one of these ones. Um, and this, it was the spirit, I'm convinced, brought this truth, this scripture to my mind. It was part of this. It didn't bring the whole thing. I've been working on memorizing Psalm 139. I don't have it. Um, this is a beautiful, if you're gonna memorize something, you should do this one. Especially if fear and anxiety are something that you, 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 you worry, you, you battle with. Um, where I'm not going to read all of it, but it's beautiful. Like, oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts when I'm far away. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on me. It is so beautiful. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. If I go to the heaven, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, I dwell by the farthest oceans, you are there. It is, it is, it's it's beautiful. In the darkness, you made me. You made my delicate parts. Thank you. But this is the part that came to mind. This is the part right here, verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. This helped me see and understand what perhaps this, you cannot serve two masters, is about. Let me illustrate for you. For me, when I have these moments of anxiety or panic, it's brought about by something that has come to mind. So it's a circumstance, it's a memory, it's something that's happened, you know, you don't know what it is. It's something, something triggers it. And then for me, I experience, I feel uh, two things are happening. So one, there's like a physiological response. So there's actually the elevated heart rate. There's, there's the, you know, the dilating of the pupils. There's all the stuff. But there's also this thinking process. And I don't know for me what happens first. Maybe they're happening at the same time. So I'm feeling the stuff and my mind is going like 100 miles an hour like a little hamster. Um, that is what I call my initial worry, fear, anxiety. So it's that initial. That's that prompting. That's that. It's not, that, it's not, it's not something I'm just carrying. So it's initial. But what I'm seeing is that what I do is all of that gets filtered through some sort of a a perspective, some sort of a worldview, some sort of a thing that I am believing, ways that I am believing, that I'm going to call here master. Let me, let, me, let me show you. So if we look at this Psalm 139, think about me driving down the road, super worried, like, like, like anxious, heart rate elevated. Like if you looked at my Apple Watch stats, I'm sure it's going to be like, whoa, something is wrong with you. I, in this moment, had this overwhelming like, 
And I'm not talking like a little bit. Like, you know how you try to sometimes talk yourself out of like, oh, maybe not quite so anxious. This was like, whew, like that when, you're, when you like feel like you've lost your phone and you're like, you're, you're up this high. <gasps> and you find it and it's like, oh, and it's gone. That's, and for me, it's usually, Sarah and I laugh because usually I'm actually on my phone. I'm talking to her. I'm like, wait a second, I lost, I lost my phone. I'm just saying, and then you're like, oh, wait, it's hopefully it's glasses, same thing. Anyway, um, but that feeling, you've had it maybe, where it goes from like high amped up to gone. This is what has started happening to me because of verses like this and a new way of thinking about what is this to master. So let me, let me break it up for you. Driving down the road, I'm super freaked out. This whole place is going to explode. or going to leak with water. And this thing comes to mind. You saw me. So this is God talking to me. So I'm going to change the verbs or the, the pronouns. I saw you, Andrew, before you were born. Let's just take a moment. For, think about that. Like all of my 42 years so far, I saw that before you were even born. Every day of your life, this day that you're driving down the road faster than you should, that day I saw this before you were born. Every moment, this moment has been laid out before a single day had passed. Hey, Andrew, do you think it's going to be okay? Even if we blew the windows out of this place, you think it's going to be okay? I love you. I made you. I care for you. It is going to be okay. So I'm going to call that master number one. It's a, world, it's, a, it's a way of seeing things. And it cannot, much like, uh, well, we'll talk about it. You, you can't hold both of these perspectives. So this is the opposite. This is my wording of what would be opposite look like. So I am unknown, unseen, and uncared for. So imagine you're driving down the road, you think the worst is going to happen, you're like, I'm unknown, I'm unseen, I'm uncared for. Every day of my life is random, totally meaningless, every moment's a giant mystery, and actions could bring about potentially catastrophic consequences. If that's what you bring into, that just gets the old anxiety, just, yeah, I'm stepping into the worst. What I found is that, that difference between orienting to the reality of who God says I am and who, who he says this world is, what this world is means you either go one or the other. You cannot do both. You cannot be both. One results for me in this deep residing, ah, the other, worry, anxiety, fear. Let me, let me try to illustrate with some other things. Our mind is really amazing in that it cannot do multiple things at once. I don't know if that's amazing or not, but for example, can you have a conversation with a human being and text with a different human being at the same time? You can try. You will fail. If you're like me, yeah, you're, you're doing it. You're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. You're neither places. So all we, what cognitive science tells us is we can alternate. And we get really fast at alternating between things, but we cannot do two things simultaneously. You cannot do two things at the same time. Uh, this has been me over the last several years. Um, the girl on the right is in like an online meeting or class. Never seen a student that happy in an online meeting or class, <laughs> including me. Um, and then, because usually what I'm trying to do is crank out emails on this one. And then you're in that moment where someone's like, so Andrew, what are your thoughts? And you're like, uh, can you tell me what you're talking about? Because I was doing something. You cannot do two things at once. I think that's what's going on here. You cannot 
be both worried about a, a world that is random and uncontrolled and there is no God and there is no purpose. You cannot that, and live in a world where God is sovereign over everything and you are cared for and you are loved and you are valued. And he has seen it from the beginning to the end and he's there. You can't hold both at the same time. You cannot serve. So, so it's not like you better not do this. It's, you can't. And what's exciting is that when you step into the master of the world, that peace comes. So let's do another one. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, I dwell by the farthest oceans. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. Think about the opposite of that. Think about master number two. I'm utterly alone. Everything rests solely on my shoulders. No matter what I do or where I look, there's no help. You see that difference? And when we remind ourselves, if we can lean in when we're, and we're big and our anxiety is right there, and we can remind ourselves much like what the psalmist encourages us right here, search me, oh God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I think that's part of what we're seeing right here, that in that moment, we stop and we pause and we say, what are you trying to tell me? How do I listen? So here is my final invitation. Can you engage your worry? Can you engage your fear? Can you engage your anxiety? With curiosity, can you pause? Say, what, what, what can I learn? What are you telling me about how I am seeing things out of whack? What can you reveal to me about where my treasure is out of balance? What can you reveal about where my, my mind is distorted and I'm living in this darkness? Because I cannot serve two masters. I can't do both. And if I align with the God of this universe, peace and not worrying is what shows up. All right, let's pray. God, I am uh, so thankful. One, just for these people. I love, I love this church and I love seeing the eyes and the faces of the people in this space and knowing that you, you allow us to be here in this time and in this space together, sharing our, our stories and digging into the reality of who you say we are, who you created us to be. Um, and you allow us to journey together. You allow us to be in process, and yet you're always in your gracious, loving invitation calling us into more, more. Nothing, we don't, we don't have to muster up a thing. You invite us into peace, into rest. And so I'm, so I'm so thankful. I'm humbled to be able to be here, and I pray that we would be encouraged because of the reality of who you are, of your grace and your goodness and your kindness. In Christ's name, amen.